All right, it's another episode of Where You Are, and I'm here in my apartment in Hoover with Abigail, Abby Whithauer, and she Hi. is the owner of Rover Chase down in Pelham. Yeah. It is a wonderful or wonderful place that we're going to talk about. You'll find out all about it. It's where I take my dog, Dolly, for her daycare, and where she was also trained as a little puppy, and it's her second home, and Abby is a nationally recognized trainer she was trained by or in the in a certain method right mm-hmm. yeah Go ahead and tell us a little bit about that um so i have three main certifications which makes me the most certified trainer in the state of alabama i think i think i may have one person that's equal to me who's also excellent down in mobile so um i'm a certified professional dog trainer i also am a certified canine behavior consultant um i'm a victoria stillwell professional dog trainer which is kind of a an elite group of about 65 trainers all around the world that are hand-selected by a celebrity trainer, Victoria Stillwell. I have several other memberships and things like that, but that's See, most of it. That was what initially drew, initially? Yeah. Initially drew <laughs> me to you because I had just gotten Dolly after my dog Bella died. It was like two weeks later. If you look back on my Facebook, I'm like, I'm never having another dog. I'm, I'll never get over this. And two weeks later, here's Dolly. Oh, we've all done that. Yeah. But I was like, I had to take a trip right after I got her. And I looked, I was looking, I was like, I want this dog to be perfect. Because Bella was, <laughs> oh, wow. Bella would rip your face off. Oh. But I looked and I was in love with Victoria Stillwell. I watched It's oh, Me or me the too. Dog. Yeah, I was the biggest fan. Worshipped her. She also reminded me of Fanola Hughes, who played Anna Devane on General Hospital. Yes. And, oh, did I, I love her. Yeah. I love them both. So when I saw that you had that connection, I was like, please, yes, this is, that was my sign. Yeah. And I, I was so right. Y'all are amazing at Rover Chase. What do you oh, think thanks. that it is that makes you guys so special? That's a great question that I'm not sure I have an excellent answer to. (laughs) You know, I think that we're really super committed to um, having all of our staff have an enormous amount of education. So we're not just interested in staff that love dogs, although that is obviously important. We really want them to have certifications and continuing education and lots of research. And even our kennel staff complete about 40 hours of continuing education every year. Oh, wow. Um, and that's just really important to us. And I do think it makes us different than some other facilities because we feel like that science is the basis for all all good outcomes. So um, that's we want the science of canine behavior to kind of be the driving force of everything that we do. What is the prevailing science in case? Because I know you focus on positive training. Yeah. What is that based on? It's really very similar to what human learning is based on. Um, It's the theory that all living beings learn the same way. So things that you add that increase a behavior are reinforcers and things that you take away that decrease a behavior are punishers. Um, You can add or subtract both reinforcers and punishers and that's what drives behavior. Um, Actually, my trainers are at a continuing education conference right now and one of them just bought a sweatshirt that says reinforcement drives behavior. So when we talk about being positive trainers, I think it's the easiest way to describe it in like a quick brochure but ultimately what we're looking at is that we we want our reinforcement schedules the things that we're adding into behavior to be the driving force of behavior rather than the avoidance of a behavior or um doing something that's kind of icky to prevent a behavior we would really rather the dog do something that drives them into reinforcement right because you're not i'm not there's someone that i work with and she's like I'll say, well, you know, my dog did this. And she's like, well, did you, you know, did you hit her? And I'm like, I yeah. can't 
hit my dog when with it, a newspaper on the nose. Sure, and it's no different than kids, right? Uh, I mean, if you if you punish a child uh, with corporal punishment, you're going to get a suppression of behavior, but the chances of a child trusting you with emotional security or secrets suddenly becomes mes- much less likely. And so every time nice. that you corporally punish any animal, you're breaking relationship, you're not forming relationship. And punishment is really reinforcing to the punisher. And that's something that's important to know that, um, you know, if, if your dog is barking at the door and you say, you know, be quiet, stop that. That's really reinforcing to you because you did something and you made that change. Yeah. And that's reinforcing to the punisher, but it's not terribly helpful to the learner. That is actually so beautiful I could cry because I've never really thought of it that way something just I had like a light bulb moment Oprah used to call them light bulbs. yeah I because when I took reactive rover training mm-hmm. which I should do again although I also want to see a behavior like a therapist behavior behaviorist yeah so a behaviorist is somebody that has a PhD or a doctorate level in animal behavior so um, the one that we use is a veterinary behaviorist so four years of vet school plus a four-year residency in behavior yeah, so I want like to talk. I want to talk more. I'm thinking about taking Dolly to, to her mm-hmm. uh, because Dolly has some behavioral stuff that she's really well. Tra- I mean, like yeah, she is. She follows she, all her cues. She does all of her cues and everything, and she's smart as a whip. She's crazy smart. Uh, she just has some reactive yeah. issues. But I remember doing that reactive training. Think it's so cool because the, the the premise, if I remember it correctly, is that you're you're trying to build a new behavior. So like. Y'all would bring that big old black poodle thing Yeah, the stuffed dog, yeah. yeah. And they would start to bark. And the idea, Fox, is that when Dolly, or the dog, when she looks to you, you then give her the treat so that you're building, that's a positive reinforcement of instead Mm -hmm. of reacting out there, you're looking to me for your cue, and eventually you're building, that's not the end result. That's Absolutely. just the first step. Yeah, and, and you know, most dogs that are reactive on leash at barking and growling at other dogs or even other people, it's 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 a threat-based behavior. We used to call it a lot um, fear-based aggression or fear aggression, and that may be true, um, but I don't know exactly what the dogs are feeling. Like, it would be awesome right. if I did. I would be so <laughs> weird. I'm like so rich right now. But, um, but I do know that it's threat-based. They perceive a threat and they react to it. So sometimes when I feel threatened, I feel really angry. Sometimes when I feel threatened, I feel really scared. Um, sometimes I can feel a myriad of other emotions. But if they see the other animal or the human as threatening, then they're going to bark and lunge at it or bark and hide from it. So if we can make that animal predict lovely things, then they're not going to be as threatened, so the behavior will cease. Yeah, and I, th- and I can tell you honestly, as because I think Dolly's baseline is a little bit... Well, she's, she has opinions. But I think one of the things that everybody should hear by the end of this podcast is that a lot of times you may think that your tra- the trainer hasn't, I never thought this, yeah. hasn't done their job, but really the owner... Is the there's a lot of work to do. I remember getting homework. It is. Homework, it's a lot of work. And I, it's a, it is a lot of work. And I think that if I, I need to work more with Dolly to make sure that I can't do some more building because mm-hmm. I've gotten kind of lazy with it. Well, and you know, behavior, like I said, whether it's human behavior, dog behavior, cat behavior, whatever, behavior is all about relationships. Yeah. And and you know, if you have underlying stress about other things, then you're more likely to have explosive stress about something that maybe isn't such a big deal. Yeah. And we see that, we call it trigger stacking, and, and we see that a lot in dogs that are reactive. So maybe she's low-level reactive to dogs on a leash that she sees in the apartment complex. 
But then she's also sort of low-level reactive to kids on scooters. And then she's also sort of low-level reactive to garbage trucks. So if you have her on a walk and she sees a dog on a leash and a kid on a scooter and a garbage truck, you can forget it. It's going to go crazy. And people are exactly that same way, right? Um, My spouse can come home and empty his pockets on my credenza every single day. (laughs) And it's fine Until. until I've had a really bad day at work. And then the next thing out of my mouth is, why can't you just put it in the bowl or put it in your drawer or whatever? I mean, yes. it's not a big deal, right? Certain t- certain things can kind of make you have a little bit of an overreaction yeah. because of trigger stacking. You are. This is why I wanted you on the podcast. <laughs> That's so true because I can be walking. Do- Let me tell you, Dolly's triggers are definitely the biggest one probably is the UPS truck, yeah. which I think is common. Yeah. Or those little carts they drive around. She hates those Oh, does she carts, not like golf carts? And it cracks them up. They'll be like, hey. <laughs> she's going. Rah, she's rah, like, rah. Rah. Um, but anyway, so wh- I'll get off of Dolly. I could talk about Dolly no, all day. Fine. But can you remember a really challenging dog that was like really rewarding for you to, to yeah, work with? Yeah, this is one of my very favorite cases I've ever done. I Oh, my goodness. I think it's been six, six almost seven years ago. Um, he was an adolescent large breed dog that has... He's black all over and has a long bearded face, so you can't see his body language very clearly. I went over to their house to work on him. He was having some leash reactivity, which which I changed my intake form after that because it was a little simplified, and I realized more information is more valuable for me. And so I tossed him a handful of treats when they opened the door, and he ate the treats and immediately went straight for my face. It's the last big dog bite I've ever had. Oh and I threw gosh. my arm up, and you can see all my scars down the arm there oh from him. No. I will say, like, one of my all-time favorite clients, he's a doll baby uh, now. Yeah. But what had happened is that at about 16 weeks old, which is pretty typical for this particular breed, he started growling and lunging at other dogs, people, things that he didn't know, which is pretty normal for this breed type. And they had brought in another trainer who pretty incredibly effectively taught the dog that if he lunged, growled, or barked at people or dogs or children or whatever, he would get a really firm collar correction on a prong collar or a corrective collar. Mm. And he learned he's really smart. He learned really fast not to do that. He was like, oh, I'm just not going to make any noise. So now what you ended up with was like a stealth biter. So he didn't do any of the lead up things and he just, man, would slam you. Oh, no. And his triggers were were very fast and his ladder of aggression was really quick and he didn't have any of the low level signals and we always say punishing barking and growling is like taking the batteries out of your smoke detector like Mm. if it's going off it's going off for a reason it might be faulty (laughs) however at some point it's it you've got to figure out why it's going off or else you're not gonna have a smoke detector so we worked really hard with this dog for about six months and i remember his mom calling me one day crying because she was so excited because he growled out the window and it was such a big deal because we had to build all of that behavior Mm. back in and he's still not the kind of dog that you're just going to walk up to and pet him that's that's not his thing Um, it's not his personality but with people that are onboarded with him where we do his little special secret handshake dance um, (laughs) he's lovely and he's he's he comes to daycare all the time like he's he's just a really great dog and i love to see behavior transformations like that where a dog has had a huge amount of suppressed behavior but their emotional connection to why they're doing it was never factored and so when we start to actually address what was causing the behavior to begin with, we see really dramatic change. And, and that's great. I like that the most. Do you think that you have some kind, at you and other trainers, have some sort of special 
thing that you were born with? I mean, I know you had so, to learn a lot, but so maybe I, I don't. I don't know that it's that special. I do think that there are certain factors that are similar in a lot of people that work with animals full time. I think many of them have either childhoods where they didn't fit beautifully into regular social constructs or there was abuse or there was some kind of trauma that makes them really empathetic towards feelings and emotions. And I I do think there's something there that's fairly consistent that you get a lot of empathy and empathic people that are very successful with dogs and other species of training. And I, I think the ability to say, well, I wonder why what makes them feel that way that they act that way is a, is a skill set that often isn't intentionally learned. I think you tend to learn it in early childhood development for whatever reason. And I do think that is a big advantage. Um, I think learning what to do once you identify that emotion is all about education right. and learning how to manipulate behavior. But that feeling of of knowing that your dog is hurting or or has an emotional reason for doing something is is innate in the sense that you probably learned it very young. See, I think it's just genius that you would think, oh, that you could even discover that a dog had been trained not to bark and there was that. So all that build up to the, the bite yeah. was gone. Yeah. I mean, that's just like... That happens in people all the time too, right? If you, if you know people that have big anger problems or... Um, not all anxiety disorders because some of those are certainly genetic but but anxiety disorders that was caused by trauma almost all the time it's based in suppressed behavior do animals also or dogs i guess specifically have anxiety or psychological problems yeah and that's really what a veterinary behaviorist does is she works with dogs that are not neurotypical or that have reactions to stimulus that's not normal so overreactions or, or things like that. And, and just like in people, a lot of that is genetic. They've done some really fascinating um, studies, uh, peer-reviewed studies on that. That they, uh, My favorite one is that they took a fearful mama dog and they bred her to the same male dog. And then they took a bold mama dog and bred her to the same male. And more than 50% of the puppies of the fearful mama dog were fearful. And more than 50% of the bold mama dog puppies were bold. So then they did it again. But the day the puppies were born, they switched them. So the bold mama raised the fearful genetic dogs, and the fearful dog raised the bold genetic dogs, and the stats didn't change at all. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That is really yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's one of my favorite studies. But, you know, we see that in people too, right? There's there's various behavior things that are definitely genetic or, or have some kind of component that doesn't have anything to do with nature over nurture, right? And then there are some things that certainly nurture has something to do with. Is it false that there are breed-specific behaviors? No, there's definitely breed-specific behaviors. If we breed a dog for hundreds or thousands of years for a certain task, they're likely to perform that task. And we see that most dramatically revealed in the predatory sequence. So all canids have the same predatory sequence, and it's eye, stalk, chase, grab, bite, kill, bite, and render, and eat. That is the canid predatory sequence. But certain breeds, we can isolate pieces of that sequence really effectively. Like an Australian Shepherd, for instance, if 
they grab, bite, rendered, and killed it, then they are the worst with sheep ever. Like, such bad Australian <laughs> shepherds. So we're really good at isolating oh. that we only want the eye, stalk, and chase. I don't want the back half of the sequence at all. Or bird dogs, we've even isolated it further. I only want the eye. And maybe a little portion of the stalk, which gives you the point, but I don't want anything else. Did you know that? That is crazy. And then there's certainly some breeds, which which we talk about a little bit less, but that have only the back end of the sequence. They don't do very much eye stalking and chasing. They do a lot of grab bite, kill bite rendering. And that's all absolutely chosen on purpose for those things. So yeah, it, it matters. It's not the only thing that matters, but it, it definitely matters. But those bad reputations that like pit bulls get, for instance, that's yeah. not that's not the breed necessarily. So it depends. It it's a hard question, right? So if we know that they were originally intended to be bull baiting dogs, which is to grab and hold and, and shake, mm-hmm. they have that in their predatory sequence. It it does exist. It also is equally important, how did their parents act? How did their grandparents act? How much driving force do they have? My friend has an Australian Shepherd that doesn't hurt anything. Mm-hmm. So there are certainly pit bulls that don't do that. My Golden Retriever is pretty great on ducks, but my other Golden Retriever does not care at all. I mean, like nothing. He's like, well, I don't care about ducks at all. So, so some of those things matter. Like Dolly is obviously a little terrier mix, right? She does more biting. She does a little bit of latching when she gets real agitated, yeah. right? Which is very in sequence to her breed type so you can't remove one from the other but to say it's it's breed type alone is really unfair because it has much more to do with parental and grandparent genetics than it does to do with breed type and then certainly how they're raised does matter but it's not all in how they're raised trish mcmillan is a a brilliant colleague of mine um, and she is a huge pit bull advocate and she wrote this really brilliant article said it's not that's called it's not all in how they're raised and her point is that her lovely pity named theodore if it was all in how they're raised that dog shouldn't be a pet and he is an amazing dog he was actually pulled off of a a known dog fighter so not suspected it Mm -hmm. was absolutely huge federal dog fighting bust here in alabama Mm. and um and the dog is lovely. He's lovely with other dogs. He lives free range on her farm with her chickens and her oh, wow. pigs and all of her things. And he's beautiful. And if we say it's all in how they're raised and he came off the chain at two years old, we're doing a real disservice to dogs like Theo. But by the same token, it it some of it is how they're raised, but it shouldn't be all of it. And, and often it's not even the predominant factor. Okay. What about um, the? Have you ever when you when like when I took Dolly in the first time? You have to go through. She had to go through a. What's that called? Her temperament evaluation. How do you do that? Do you have people that you have to turn like people dogs that you have to turn away? Or? We do. We're um, we're really selective at Rover Chase. We always say it's like the private school of the dog world. Um, <laughs> we we are. Um, we really want. We do group play, so the dogs are playing all day together um, in their little play group and. Our goal is to have dogs that are just incredibly affiliative and want to play all day, which some dogs that are lovely don't want to play all day. Um, sometimes dogs age out of wanting to play all day the same way that you age out of the bar scene, right? Yeah. When, I was 20, <laughs> when I was 25, I wanted to be there all night, every night. But I went, I had one of my um, employees begged and begged and begged for me to go out with her. 
And I was like, yeah, okay. And so I'm like in my mid-30s now, like edging towards the end of the 30s. And um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that'll be great. That'll be awesome. So we went to my old favorite place to go, like the place that I was happiest. And the show doesn't start until 11. And I got there and it was 1030. And I was wondering what in the world had I done with my life? Listen, I was like, please, I can I, like, when can I go home? I had my two gin and tonics and I wanted to go home oh, and yeah. I want to go to sleep and I wanted to watch my Jimmy Fallon and then go straight to sleep. <laughs> That's really what I wanted to do. Um, but I mean, for years I was there Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, every weekend, like couldn't get me out. So some dogs just age out the same way that people age out. Yeah. Um, some dogs just don't like group play the same way that people don't like group play. Yeah. I think it's a real fallacy that... Um, all dogs should be friends with every other dog that they meet. There's there's no species on earth where that's true. Certainly not humans. Yeah. I mean, we've all met that person. We're like, hmm, I don't like you. <laughs> and, and you don't even know why, right? And dogs yeah. should have that same freedom where it's just like, yeah, you know, it's not my thing. So we're pretty careful about that at Rover Chase. We want the dogs to be as happy coming as the people are to bring them. I want to know if the theory about alpha and all the thing about yeah. wolves, has that died out or is that still, because I know C- Caesar, what's his Caesar name? Caesar Milan. Yeah, so um, some of it is is certainly pretty regional. Um, I, I would absolutely say it is far from dead in the South. Um, for some yeah. reason, like, we really love that idea. And I think that goes back to things that are reinforcing for the teacher rather than reinforcing for the learner. Like, we love the idea that's like, I made my dog do this. Yeah. And I'm, like, definitely in charge, and it's totally me, and I am, like, really in control. That is my personality made over a 100 times. I, I Like, I love that. And I'm like, I'm in charge. I own my own business and I'm totally together all the time, which is definitely not true. But we really like that feeling. And it's it's one of those ideas, too, that's just really sticky. Like there's something about that that seems right. You're yeah. like, oh, yeah, wolves are definitely, they're definitely dominant. They definitely have a linear pack hierarchy, which is not true. Wolves have family units the same way that, that any other species generally has family units. It's a, a breeding pair and their offspring. When the offspring become sexually mature, they leave and they go and find their own breeding pair. There is no fight for alpha like they made you. And, and it's the same thing, like, if, if you're in a, a, even a moderately functional human family, like, like you're not, you're not saddling up to your dad and you're like, well, I'm going to fight you for alpha today. Yeah. No, like, he fed you today. Like, it is his house. He owns everything. So, um, and certainly in, in wild dog packs, there is absolutely no hierarchy. There's not even a breeding parent offspring. Like, it's a total free-for-all. Yeah. And they're really... Not very organized about it. They just kind of yeah, it is. They are. I mean, wild canine packs that are domestic dogs are very strange. They they don't do any kind of pack hierarchy. There's also not a single species in the world that forms a hierarchy with another species. Period. So your dog is not stupid. They absolutely know that you're not a dog. Yeah. And I mean, they they know they're they're fine. And also, you control everything. You can control when they pee. Yeah. You control when they pee, you control when they eat, you control when they walk, when they don't walk, when they go in, when they come out. You don't need to establish dominance by you know spitting in their food bowl or alpha rolling them or whatever Ugh. weirdness that you're hearing. Like you control their whole life. I promise you, like we're good. Yeah. It's fine. They're not going to steal your credit card and max it out. It's they're all right. Yeah, because that's one of the. I'm not as educated, of course, as you on this, and I'll try to get in a conversation with someone. And it just. <laughs> I mean, I'm an educated man, but I'm not educated enough about this. But that that seems to be one of the things that 
that a lot of people in the South think. It's very sticky. Another attitude that really drives me crazy, I don't know if it's just in the South, is this, like, leaving your dog, like, on a spike or yeah, that's, tied to a tree yeah. or... I don't understand Alabama that. hates legislation about anything that could be considered livestock or might nose under the tent for legislation about livestock. We, we as a state just really really hate that, Mm -hmm. which means that a lot of legislation that in other parts of the country and certainly other parts of the world would just be completely common sense, uh, we don't have here. Things like legislation on tie-outs or, you know, our legislation for what's appropriate shelter for dogs is is just wild. Like, you guys should look it up. It's crazy. Like, I mean, anything that provides any element of protection from the rain and anything that's a receptacle of water, that's enough. And then we we have tried many times, the industry as a whole, Greater Birmingham Humane Society and, and several others have tried very hard to just pass common sense legislation about puppy mills and the ability to have any kind of power over the horrible puppy mill problem that is in our state. And it, it just doesn't, yeah. it just doesn't. And that's a hard thing about living in a traditionally agriculture state. Sometimes there's a little bit of funky holdbacks on that. People get worried about nose under the tent that if we regulate pet dogs and cats, we're coming for their pigs and their chickens next. next. And I do, I do understand that to some degree, but it's, it's frustrating um, when you're trying to pass something that's really very common sense. And I think certainly the idea of tieouts and chaining is is very prevalent in the South as a whole, and certainly in Alabama. Yeah. Well, that that always makes me sad to think about. Yeah. When I lived in Marion down near Selma, yeah. first of all, there were so many stray dogs. I mean, you yeah. just couldn't even keep up with it. And then I would always, there was this one house on a corner where they had that dog outside, rain, snow, sleep. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I can't go in their yard. And, right. But it was just heartbreaking. It is. And, and, you know, the real solution for that is at the legislative level. Yeah. Part of what we really try to advocate for at Rover Chase legislatively is that really breeders and rescues need to work together all over the country and certainly also in the South. They're just, it's it's like there's some kind of immediate at odds thing that if you're a breeder, you must hate rescue. And if you're a rescue, you hate breeder. And and I think that's really untrue fundamentally. And until the two come together and realize that really you just both love dogs yeah. and let's pass some common sense legislation and stop wasting our time fighting each other, that's really what needs to happen for change. Because the I, I'm assuming the fundamental problem within your profession and your community is not like with breeding, is not breeding itself. It's Things it's, like puppy mills. Right. It's mass production yeah. or breeding breeding because you want your kids to see your dog have puppies, which is one of the weirdest statements ever. And I hear it all the time. I'm like, wow. like watch a video, man. It's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, like, we're cool. 2020. Like, it's, it's fine. And it's really pretty gross. Like, I'm here to say, like, <laughs> we do it and it's gross. Yeah. Um, and so um, I think I think that the it's the idea that breeders are equally at fault here that breeders think all rescues hate breeders intrinsically and that rescues want to save everything no matter what and that they'll spend tens of thousands of dollars on a dog that probably is suffering and maybe wouldn't not be suffering even mm-hmm. with the tens of thousands of dollars and i think that's the bias on the breeder side and i think rescuers think that breeders just breed to make money and that they just breed without thinking about things and that's certainly true 
on both sides of certain ones in the group, but not of the vast majority. Right. I mean, the vast majority of people that rescue dogs desperately want to provide better legislation in life for dogs, and the vast majority of breeders also do a huge amount of rescue and also are health testing and trying to produce dogs that are serving a purpose that needs to be served by purpose-bred heritage breeding. Yeah. Well, let's get back to Rubber Chase because I want everybody who doesn't know to know what <laughs> sure. all the amazing things you do. So I know you do training for puppies. We do. And you have like, do you still do like this? Isn't there like a, there used to be a, like a six week thing and a four. Yeah. So we have several six week group classes. We have puppy kindergarten, basic obedience, and then what we call beyond the basics, which is like a class that helps with everyday things that your dog needs to know how to do, especially in the vein of um, self-control or what's often termed in the industry as impulse control, which is the idea of. We have this thing in that class that we call Treat River. So at the end of six weeks, we want your dog to be able to do Treat River, which is like this huge, long string of treats, and your dog needs to walk on a loose leash through them and not eat them. So we work on things like that that are just life skills that good citizen dogs know how to do. We have our reactive rover class, which you have to start with private lessons and then go into that class, but that's for all the dogs that lunge and bark on leash, which is, I always tell people, so common. Yeah. Tons of dogs do it. And and the thing I love about reactive rover is that you're not going to have the dunce dog in the class. They're all doing it. They, they work. So it's Trust fine. Me. They're all doing it and yours isn't going to be the worst one. It never is. So it's just fine. And um, then we have private lessons for pretty much everything. And then we have our big uh, behavior modification program, which is with dogs that need a little bit more intensive work. And we often work with a veterinary behaviorist for that. But our most popular option is our day training. They just come to school like you're sending your little kid to preschool. So they come to school on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You drop them off in the morning. They play with their friends. They get training. And you pick them up in the afternoon. And we've gotten very technologically savvy since Dolly did it. We now video their training session. And we airdrop it to you when you pick up so that your homework is right there on the video. It's awesome. I remember when Dolly did it. My favorite thing, I still have one of them on the, uh, the little report card. You yes. Know? I love the report cards. Yeah. And, and occasionally, though, even back then, somebody would, like, record something for me. Yeah. Or, you know, but that's great. I yeah, like it's that. awesome. Don't you train, or I don't know if you do it personally, don't you train, like, service animals? We do. That's really been a passion project of mine for about a decade, and it took a long time for me to feel like, one, I had enough experience to do it the service it deserves and two to just it's a massive program on the back end to plan for as far as intake forms and uh, what's even required for doctor's letters and making sure that all your legal stuff is in order but um, for the last two years that's really where I've been spending the vast majority of my time we just graduated out five service dogs from Rover Chase in December, and then three more from my colleagues in Atlanta uh, were graduated from the same litter. So we just did eight all together in December, and I have a litter of seven-week-old puppies, uh, nine of them right now, and they're so cute. I I saw those when I dropped Dolly off yesterday, and she didn't bark at them. I know. They're so cute. They're they're like little furry potatoes. They're the cutest things ever. We can pet them now. Oh, yeah. Later, we can't. They are. They're so cute. And, um... I think really from the very beginning, that's what I really wanted to do. So it, it takes an enormous amount of money to produce a service dog program, and we do have an affiliated nonprofit. Our goal is to take the whole program for the service dogs into the nonprofit. We would really like to place them with individuals with disabilities at no charge to the individual. Oh. 
but it's my out-of-pocket cost on each of those dogs is somewhere between twelve and a half and fifteen thousand dollars. That's what it costs me to yeah. produce a single one. So we're really working hard at fundraising and trying to just build awareness with the fact that we have the Rover Chase Foundation and it's a thing that we're trying to do. We're really trying to grow that direction. And how can people donate or give to that? Yeah, so there's a couple of really great ways. We have an Amazon Smile account, so you can just select the Rover Chase Foundation when you're shopping on Amazon, which is super easy and awesome. We have, of course, direct donations through our website, uh, either roverchase.com or the roverchasefoundation.org. We are also an affiliated Facebook fundraiser. So like, you know, when Facebook prompts you to do a fundraiser for your birthday yeah, or yeah. whatever, you can choose the Rover Chase Foundation for That's that. Awesome. Um, and Facebook has been a really great organization to work with on that. Um, they donate 100% of what comes into the actual nonprofit, wow. which is uh, unusual and really excellent. Well, they can afford it. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> now, um, all I know is that I'm on Facebook enough to pay for all of it. So. Yeah. <laughs> is there other are there other programs that you have? I was trying to remember. Um, you do so much. I can't. We do a lot with uh, we we volunteer a lot of time with rescues and some of the animal shelters when they need help with behavior and things like that. But the main two things we do are the training. We also have boarding and daycare, which is yes. awesome. Oh my gosh! Um, and we have a great groomer. She's fantastic. Oh, I love her. I know she loves Dolly. They're so I love oh, her. I don't know how she does it. She's been with me from the very beginning, and she can take dogs that don't like anyone, uh-huh. and they love her, and she grooms them. Yeah. Like, you would think that that wouldn't be fun for the dog, but they all love her. It's it's a, she's, it's a phenomenon. But, yeah, so we have boarding, and our boarding is cage-free, which is kind of fun. There's no chain link in my facility at all, so yeah. they have, like, their own little private suites. Very cute. And, um, and you can watch, or at least you used to be able I don't do it anymore, yeah. but when I first left her the first time, I would watch her on the camera. Yeah, so um, we definitely still have the webcams, but the entire system got fried by lightning. Um, oh, no. Uh, yeah, right at Christmas, which was super fun. So we are currently um, revamping our whole system because it's six years old and it's time for a technology boost. So I hope I hope that the new system will be up um, certainly by summer. That's well, my goal. Even if it's not, I can say this. This is going to sound like I'm wrapping up. I'm not because there's something I remembered I wanted to talk to you okay. about and I'm going to come back to it. But I want to say this before I forget. I trust Dolly with you guys more than myself, I think. Like, I, if I go away, like even if he's here, I, <laughs> I leave her with you. Well, because she's special. I feel so safe when she's there. I like the very first time I left her there, I'd only had her a week, and yeah. I was watching that camera. I was like, "Is she okay?" You know, but, yeah. But I couldn't figure out what was her because she's black and white, right? So and she like, blends right into I'm those like, night vision cameras. sleep so easy if I go anywhere I know that I can leave her there and she's safe I, I mean seriously now it is selective everybody listening you can't just take <laughs> them there without you know you know uh, getting your behavior test or whatever what is it called a temperament evaluation temperament evaluation yeah <laughs> but I wanted to go back because there are two things that impressed me about you in addition to your abilities with animals and dogs your business sense like you're, you were young. I mean, you're still young. I mean, yeah, oh, no, you're I, mean, young I was, when you I was st- a lot younger then. Yeah. You were like in your late 20s. When- I, I was in my early 20s. Early 20s. Actually, I was in my late 20s when I opened the facility. So I went out on my own 
full time. So I, I stopped. I worked as a vet tech for a long time because I was a little bit scared to not be able to pay my bills. Yeah. And I loved it. It was excellent. But I, I went out full time on my own dog training. I think I was 24. And then I opened the facility when I was 20, uh, like 10 days before I turned 28. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, when you're young, you're just, you're really bold beyond <laughs> any reason. Like, I just, I don't think I would do it now. <laughs> like, was that, and was it the facility scared. you're in now? It is. It this is. facility, I was 28 when we opened it. And was it called Rover Chase? It was, yeah. From the beginning. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, it was, it was crazy. Like I said, I don't, I don't think I would do it now because you get older and you have better risk evaluation yeah. and but yeah but aren't you glad you did i mean this i is... am i am um most days <laughs> she hesitates I think, well i think you know it's there's some really beautiful things about only wanting to do one thing your whole life i i knew this is what i wanted to do forever i don't ever remember not wanting to do this and there's some really beautiful things about that i think sometimes there are some things where you're like oh, i wonder what it would have been like to like you know be a lawyer like or in marketing or whatever and it's all I've ever done and I I do most days that's really great yeah I think you know I'm like in a huge like midlife crisis or whatever right now where I'm like oh what am I going to do next and I think the service dog program has really kind of scratched that itch for me and it's been great it was kind of a weird feeling to have it open for about four years and be like wow well so I did it yeah. And now I still have it. <laughs> and, um, yeah. But I love my employees and I love hanging out with them. And we have mostly regular clients, which is great. So yeah. I see most of the same people multiple times a week and have relationships with them. A bunch of them have babies. A lot of them are in their second dogs that um, we started when their other dogs were middle-aged and then they passed. Oh, and so we have yeah. new puppies. And that part's really cool. So, you know, I think anybody that owns a business... I think most people are like, oh, yeah, most of the time it's pretty cool. And then sometimes yeah. you're like, I haven't slept in six days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Or I things happen, like what's going on with the world health right now, and you're like, oh, what's this going to be? Like, what's my payroll going to look like in two weeks or yeah. four weeks or That's six scary. weeks? And, yeah. you know, those things are just, they're well, weird. Look, I understand and support, like, as much as I love Robert Chase, I hope it, I hope it never goes away. But, you know, people want to do other things I don't want to yeah. teach forever I've been teaching for like 10 or 11 years now and before that I did retail for seven yeah. years and now I'm starting to feel more of the niche to do creative things and yeah and but I, I enjoy my think, paycheck I think yeah <laughs> I think Rover Chase will exist for a really long time and I think my goal has always been to put staff in place that were as good or better than me smart. and and I really smart. nothing makes me happier than than starting with an employee that is just getting started and then you know I, I I look at them and I'm like wow you're better than me at that that's amazing like that makes me really happy yeah that's great um you know I, I want them to be better and that than says I a am. lot about you uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. no it does I mean that some people would too be be too vain or egotistical to well I certainly have a massive ego I think anybody that's ever <laughs> met me knows that that's true and I, I don't try to hide but it it's but it's tempered but I it's gotten tempered the older I've gotten the more tempered it's become but I, I do. I um, I love having a team around me where if I want to go on vacation for five days, I don't 
I don't think a thing about what's going on at my facility. I See, know that they're going to make excellent choices and and really make the choices that I would make or better choices than I would have made. I mean, and that makes about, me really happy. What about that Megan? I mean, uh, oh isn't my she God. the best? I adore her. I know. Her and so talk much. about somebody that could not have a personality more different than my own. I know. <laughs> but it's like I I know I she's awesome. She makes me laugh every day. She's just yeah. she's a really amazing person. And you know she's. She's gotten really into fitness in like the last two I've years. I've noticed that she's really like. She does two a days at the gym every oh my day, six days a week. Uh-uh. And I mean, like, I'm not. She looks great. Not, I know. And she's, she's like strong. Like she's yeah. super strong. And she did her first triathlon in July last year. Wow. She's doing her second one in July this year. She's awesome. I fell in love with her when I saw her on that bike with her little dog with the glasses yeah, she's, on. She's and got the, the basket on the front of her her road bike, and then she has this little dachshund whose name is Wiener because because oh, oh, we're very creative. So cute. and he has this little like this tiny little bike helmet and these little doggles, and he rides in the <laughs> so basket. Cute. It's hysterical. And Wiener and Dolly have very similar personalities, okay. which makes it even funnier. Yeah. <laughs> they used to, I think they used to get along. I think they still and get the, along. Okay. Yeah. Um, Weens has opinions about who he does and does not get along with. And Dolly yeah. has opinions oh, about she does. who she does and does not get along but with. Do you but remember I think with, they're still buds. With Go- Ghosty, was that his Yeah. Name? She loved that. She it was lo- a serious love affair. Like, yes. Very serious. <laughs> and Ghosty would lay down and she'd like nestle up in his oh. fur. It was very cute. And she loved uh, that great Dane. Is, was that That's Xavier. Yeah, yeah, that's Megan's. And For she, a while. Yeah. I think that she may have turned on her. On you know, I, I think she 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 changes with yeah, the times. Yeah, she does. She has opinions. She's a little, yeah. yeah. She's, what were you like as a child? Were you fascinated by animals? Were you always around them? Yeah, I think I had parents that never told me that wasn't a legitimate career choice, which I think was hugely impactful and certainly very different than a lot of my colleagues who did this as a second act because they were told that this wasn't a legitimate career to do. And that's also changed a lot. It, it now is very much a legitimate career with massive educational options. You can get doctorates in it and everything, which wasn't available when I started. But yeah, you know, I think I always had critters of some kind. You know, I was catching lizards and I caught a duck one time, much to my mother's dismay. Um, I had turtles. I got salmonella and almost died from the turtles. It was, you know, I mean, all kinds of crazy things. I was a pretty... Um, like I don't, I don't know that either of my parents would say that I wasn't well behaved. Like I think I was a pretty good kid, but I was busy, and I, I got more opinionated after my brother moved out. My mom, she jokes all the time that she thought I was really shy, and then my brother, who's older, moved out, and she realized I just couldn't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I, it's always what I wanted to do. I think when I was. Little, I would have told you I wanted to be a turtle doctor, Aww. and um, and then I was really fascinated by horses, and I'm still pretty fascinated by horses. I thought that. I can, um, yeah. So I was showing horses really competitively, and yes, that's what I remember. Yeah. about. you told me about this one. Go ahead. I'm and sorry. so I was showing horses really competitively, and you know, you just get to the level where are you really going to go for it? Like, like, do you do you want to try for the Olympics or or not? And certainly, finances to go that big or insane it's it's crazy and and my mom was getting more disenchanted with the horses the more actively I was riding and the more injuries I was sustaining we took a break I outgrew my pony so I took a little break and started showing our family's dog my mom had shown dogs in the 70s so we had friends that showed dogs and and I was pretty 
pretty enamored from that point forward. Yeah. It, 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 and I have a pony now, which makes me very happy, but um, he's adorable. Do you like cats, too? I do. I don't like all cats, and, and certainly all cats don't like me, <laughs> but I'm learning a lot more about cat behavior. Our veterinary behaviorist, is that's her, her favorite species, our cats. Oh, okay. And so as I spent more time with Dr. Jenny, I think I've learned to appreciate cats and cat behavior and and what training cats feels like and and i'm i'm, I'm warming up to them i i have three cats so like clearly yeah. i don't dislike cats oh that's one of the things that i love about rubber chase is you've got those two cats and we have three now, now you have, we have the hairless, yeah we have the naked cat the naked cat yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love that cat and it stays in that little castle <laughs> She's now a mess but I'll, karen is the one with the or her name's not really karen it is well i mean her, her given name was Lady Whisker Biscuit, but it got changed <laughs> to Karen very shortly after her arrival because she, she judges. Yeah, and she, yeah. <laughs> I love that cat. She has one blue eye and one green, green eye. eye. And yeah. she's so and beautiful. And she's all white. She is a beautiful cat. And and Appa is our other cat who's a an old an old man ragdoll that we got yes. as a rescue, and he's also beautiful. And then Botox is the hairless oh, cat. Botox, I didn't and, know that uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And she's... You either love Botox or she completely terrifies you, but she yeah. kind of looks like Gollum. I'm I'm a big fan, and when she really likes you, she crawls up on you and you scratch her and she drools, which I think is adorable, <laughs> but most people think is really gross. Now, Sandy was not a big fan of... Sandy doesn't care for Botox, which I think is um, <laughs> even funnier because if you know Sandy, she's my office manager. I think she's easily one of the top five kindest human beings I've oh, ever yeah. met. I mean, she's so lovely. <laughs> she's Every time Bo comes over to her, she just kind of flinches away. And she's like, shoot, shoot, get away. And she loves all other animals. Yep. But Botox totally freaks her out. Just completely I freaks know. her out. That's the thing. Another thing about Rubber Chase that's really cool. I just want everybody listening to know how wonderful. Like you tell people, oh, I have this great place where I take Dolly. And they're like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah whatever. No, <laughs> this is like world-class stuff we're talking about here but down like everybody people who work at the desk people who are yeah we have an amazing team we really really do and there's people who've been there like what's this michael is that his michael's been with me for i think I think it will be five years this year. Eric's been with me six years this year. Rachel's been with me seven years this year. Megan's been with me four years. Kat's been with me three years. Oh, my God, Kat. Oh, Kat's the Kat's the one that when Fox, she's the one who came over and I paid her to come babysit your rat. Oh, Oh, yeah. The mouse. Yeah, the the mouse. Yeah. 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 So it was real fun because we were like cat and mouse or whatever. Yeah, I know. I make a lot of cat jokes. Yeah, I like cat a lot. I like all everybody. Yeah. And I just am so grateful to everybody there. I'm going to ask you something that's a little sad. Um, Do you have advice? Not that I have to worry about this for a long time because Dolly's very young. But when my dog Bella died, I had not had dogs growing up. My mom wouldn't let us have dogs. Right. And Bella was the only dog I'd ever had. And when she died, I came apart. Yeah. Are there way? Does it ever get easier when your dog passes? No, <laughs> um, it doesn't. And uh, but I think um, I think it's becoming a lot more um, respected in both the psychological community and also just in the world as a whole. They they did a study, and I um, I can't remember who published it, um, saying that pet loss and child loss the grieving processes are extremely similar. Mm-hmm. And before, you know, it was kind of like, oh, well, your dog died. That's really sad. But I think they're starting to realize that there's something different about pet loss than maybe what we had thought about 
human emotions previously. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's a lot more pet loss grief counseling groups. Um, certainly the world of online, everything has made yeah. that much, much easier. But you're seeing more trained mental health care professionals that actually have training in pet loss and pet grieving. And I mean, I've had several colleagues that have done pet loss grieving for their own pets. I mean, it's really, really hard. It's hard. I lost my hard dog in September and yeah, Mr. Big. And you know, it was, it was awful. And, and I, and I, I think, you know, they're starting to realize that it's complex, right? Like I was a little bit resentful of my other dogs about it. Like I didn't like the idea that they wanted to be in his spot because he wasn't there Mm. anymore. And you have really complicated emotions about it. But I think more mental health care professionals are doing a much, a much more educated job of helping people through those grief periods and that's generally what I recommend to my clients and certainly what I did for myself was to to seek out some grief counseling because it's that's what it is it's and it's normal and healthy I think that's important too and I do think it's I I know now a little bit more like if Bella had a stomach cancer Mm. and I I always look back and think should I have taken her sooner yeah I mean I think you can ask those questions all day long you know I think I might I would probably now now that I've been through it because I remember going to work I was living alone and I would go to work about 30 miles away Mm -hmm. and she was sick you know and I would I would I would always come home wondering if she was alive or not yeah and that's probably pretty common with people who have sick yeah, pets. Yeah, well, I mean, but I didn't Biggie, know that. Biggie was sick for um, he got he had a heart a massive heart attack in January, which I I mean I can drive myself crazy being like, how did I not know? It's what I do right. for a living. Right. How did I not know he had heart disease? And I and I just didn't. didn't I, I thought he had a little like upper respiratory. It wasn't a big deal. And so he had a massive heart attack in January, and they saved him, which was amazing. Shout out to Steel City Emergency Vets. They were oh, awesome. Yeah. And um, we have a great cardiologist in town, Dr. Strader Nolan, who saved him. And he lived until September, which was exceeded really what we had hoped. But you know, yeah, I mean, I I question myself all the time about why didn't I know or, or how did I not see it? And then as he was ill for those, you know, nine months, I didn't want to take him to work because he'd get too excited, which wasn't good for his heart. But I also was afraid to leave him at home. Yeah. And it, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And I ha- I remember having, because I would get to the point where when it, towards the end, I would drive on my lunch break yeah. up here and back 30 miles. Yeah. Up. And when Bella finally passed, I remember feeling a little guilty because I had a sense of relief. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I felt that too myself. Yeah. You know, it's like he'd been sick for so long that... And, and he, he just hated to take medicine, and he was taking, like, Ugh. nine pills a day, like, so much. And he was four pounds, you know, so, like, to get nine mm-hmm. pills down a four-pound dog is nuts. And it was, like, every, twice a day, every day, the medicating him was such an ordeal. And, and then just the constant anxiety of, like, was he going to die in his sleep? And, you know, was I going to be there and not be there? And, you know, not being able to travel or do anything was yep. really, really hard. And there was a sense of relief, which brought a lot of guilt. But I think those are all really normal things to feel just like you would with an elderly relative right. or or anything like that. I, I certainly remember when my grandmother passed feeling a sense of relief because sure. I was happy that she was happy, you yeah, know, not and, in pain yeah. or whatever, yeah. So I will turn this a little bit so we don't end on a sad note, yeah. but please let me tell you this story. She won't be mad at me. She won't listen anyway probably. <laughs> this woman I work with when she has two uh they're not yeah, Dotsons, I think. And they're named Ruby and something. And when one dies, 
she goes and buys and gets another one just like it and gives it the same name. Yeah, my grandparents had Angel Four by the time my <laughs> grandfather died. This is not all uncommon. toy poodles. It it is uncommon, but it's not unheard of, okay. and it's it's very <laughs> odd. Um, I, 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 it's not my thing. Like if that helps you with your grieving, more power to you. You know, right, you can right. grieve however you want. But I always joked that the reason that my my grandfather did that is because he just couldn't ever remember another name, so he was going to call it Angel no matter what. So that was how I justified that. I'm not sure if that's well, actually true. That's what but my coworker says. She goes. Now you didn't. I know you didn't name her Bella, but don't you call her Bella all the time? I was like, well, occasionally, once in a while. But yeah, but I know she's Dolly. Right. I mean, come on. Yeah, Dolly I mean, Pete. you know, my my mom calls me my aunt's name most of the time too, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure she knows I'm not her. <laughs> but you know, we always say when we're working the service dogs in public that it's not a true interaction if someone doesn't show you a picture of their dead dog, and so it's inevitable, <laughs> right? I have my service dog is this gorgeous golden retriever McCallan. He's like he's. He just has this long, gorgeous hair, and he's got this huge, blocky head, and people love him. And I would say, on average, five to ten times a week, someone's like, I have a golden retriever just like him, which is not true. And then, <laughs> uh, and they're like, here's a picture of him. He died. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's, that's just, it. it's, it's, it's not a service dog interaction if they haven't told you about their dead dog. <laughs> well, I am so glad that you agreed to do this. Thank We're just going to wrap so this fun. up. I want everybody to be aware of Rover Chase and all the great things that you do. I think that you're such a cool person. I Thanks. admire you so much. Always have since I first met you. And I'm so happy that y'all are around because Dolly P loves it there. When Good I time, say, tonight. I can't say it, but when I say, you want to go to Rover Chase? She, she's like, doing oh, her she does all her she's zoomies. ready to go. She and can't I have, wait. I have songs that I've made up. I'll be like, <laughs> uh, what is the song that I always sing? Let's go to Rover Chase. Oh my God, that's da, amazing. Da, 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 yeah. It's like, it's like a show tune. Yeah, I will create a show oh, tune for, yeah. Yes. Anyway. Yeah, we're going to make you do that on a Facebook Live for us <laughs> right. one day, don't worry. I love your Facebook Lives. <laughs> we, I think we need to do more of them, especially, um, I don't know if you know, have you met April very much, our, our the trainer, the newer one? trainer? I haven't really talked to her so, much. So April and I have worked together for years, but I finally convinced her to move from Oxford to Pelham to come and work for me. It took me like three years to convince her. <laughs> Fun fact about April, if you get like two glasses of wine in her and make her do a review on Facebook Live, <laughs> the best. So I think we're going to start doing that where um, I'm just going to like give her a glass and a half of wine and start to ask her to review things like dog training equipment or I like a that. book. So stay tuned. I think it's going to be really fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll tune into that one later. Yeah. Thank you so much, Abby. Thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate it. Yay. Thank you for listening to Where You Are, a podcast created by Jimmy Ellenberg and edited by Fox Williams. The introductory music was Bright in the Corner Where You Are, a song performed by Billy Pollard and created by Ina Dudley Ogden and Charles Hutchinson Gabriel. The interlude music, Dead Inside, was taken from the Little Spoon album by Patricia Taxon. All music was used with permission. Thank you again for listening, and have a nice day, wherever you are.